This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, for those of you who are of a liturgical background and maybe some others, I think most uh, Christians around the wor- uh, world observe the season of Lent. And so if you're in pilgrimage, you've made your pilgrimage at a wonderful time where we remember uh, the, uh, the 40 days of our Lord's uh, uh, temptation in the wilderness and on our 40-day journey towards the uh, celebration of his death and resurrection. Uh, we take this as a time of, of uh, growing closer to him, to prepare with joy for our celebrations of, uh, of his passion and resurrection, and, uh, and to enter into deeper repentance, uh, meaning not just feeling bad, but uh, re- recapturing our first love. Uh, returning uh, close to the, to the maker and uh, uh, lover of our souls. And the Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. The journey, the 40-day journey towards uh, Easter begins uh, with this, with this uh, prayer which focuses what all of these Sundays and days within Lent are to be about. And if there's, you know, if you want to go away from here, if you can remember this, probably, uh, uh, you know, a lot of else of what I say is just hopefully going to point to this. But it's prayed on that day and throughout Lent. Almighty and everlasting God, now hear this, you hate nothing you have made. We let that sink in beyond just being church words. The truth of that. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made. And you forgive the sins of all who are repentant. Wow. That's enough just to marinate in and to take into our souls this day and to carry us through the rest of our pilgrimage, uh, the rest of our journey through Relent and the rest of our lives. But yet we realize that we have a heart problem. He does all that for us and we need him to do something new in our hearts. And so in response to that of who God is, it calls us to remember uh, something about ourselves. Create in making us new and contrite hearts. What a sad reality. What a sad reality that when we hear that he hates nothing that he has made, that he, that he, that he loves us with an everlasting love and that he'll forgive all the sins for a penitent that as we live as enemies of this, Either we care not or we're in rebellion. And we need him to do that work of grace to actually do for something that in our sin we're powerless to do for ourselves, to create and make in us new and contrite hearts. I'm praying that today. I look at myself, I'm like, oh, Lord, please, I come to you with this 
with a shabby heart. Create and make in me a new heart that will want you and love you. Or as the man prayed one day, uh, he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That we will worthily lament our sins. That we'll see the truth about ourselves and that we'll acknowledge our wretchedness and we will then obtain of you the God of mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. And we do this through the saving person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, that's enough for all of Lent, but then it gets better. Each Sunday in Lent has its own particular focus for the readings chosen, a prayer that calls us to focus that. And here, here are the one for today. So this is, this is the one appointed for the second Sunday of Lent for these readings that we heard. And this is, uh, so, so many things we could say about the readings, but this gives us a, an entry into them to say, let's, let's go and, and enter them with this on our hearts. Oh God, it's your glory always to have mercy. And we begin to hear that in the story of uh, Abraham where, well, Abraham is knocked out. He's fast asleep with terror and horror all around him that God himself cuts the covenant. And said, you know, Abraham, really, this is, this is what I'm doing for you and I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you and for all of you who have faith in me like you. And so God himself, while Abraham is fast asleep, walks alone as, as smoke and fire through the cut pieces of the sacrificed animals and as a sign to say, I have made an irrevocable, unbreakable covenant with you. And it will always be my part and my glory to have mercy. How oft I want to gather you unto myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's my glory, oldies, to have mercy, to keep my promise, to keep my covenant. The same uh, uh, God who walked uh, through uh, the, the sacrificial pieces while Abraham was asleep and cut the covenant and made that everlasting covenant is now incarnate in the flesh and his heart is the same. And, and, uh, and he says, I always long to gather you unto myself. The problem is not with my heart and my willingness, but our heart, which needs to be softened and transformed and changed by his grace. And again, I'm here today to say, Lord, at 70 years old, having walked with you ever since before I can remember, why is my heart, why do I wake up and still find my heart indifferent or in rebellion or so prone to wander from the Lord I love? as the one hymn goes, Lord, make in me a new heart. And so the prayer goes on. It's your glory always to have mercy. Be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with repentant hearts and steadfast faith, faith, steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus the Messiah, your son who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. So, he hates nothing that he's made, 
His glory is always to have mercy. And he longs to gather us unto himself. Just uh, one more thing from uh, a psalm not used today in Psalm 81, which ca- uh, captures uh, God's appeal for our repentance. He says that near the end of Psalm 81, Hear, O my people, I want, I'm going to admonish you. If you'll but listen to me. So it's not to scold us, to drive us away or hurt us, but to get us to wake up, to quicken our heart, to kindle our heart, to be hungry uh, for, for uh, a, a fellowship and restoration to him, to call us to come home, to repentance, to turn around from all that would distract us from the world, the flesh, and the devil from the love of God and to come home to him as Savior and Lord, as shepherd. And, and just to pause and to picture yourself being gathered under the wings of the Lord. How often I would have gathered you unto myself as a mother hen gathers the chicks. But you won't have it. And so we're desolate until we can say, I'll come. I'll come. And then he's there. So he admonishes us today to call us to come. There shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide. I'm going to fill it. We're going to do that today. We're going to stretch out our hands for those who to uh, respond to his call to come forward to his presence and his body and his blood to hold out our hands empty-handed as our, as our desolation. And he'll say, and I will give you myself, the bread and the wine, my body and my blood, my real presence. But my people will not heed my voice and, will, and Israel will have none of me. So I give them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. And that's what he does with us. He says, if you don't want me, I can't force you. But how's it working out for you? How's that I did it my way thing? I, you know, some of you may, as Americans or Westerners might know that song by Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. It sounds like it works, but it doesn't. <laughs> so, if you want to do that, I'll do that. But then his heart is shown as he says, you're free. Oh, that you would listen to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me, would hear me, or would come home to me. So when he says, I'll give you over, does he give us up? Does the God who cuts the covenant even when we walk away, does he give up on us? Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I'd feed you with the finest wheat. I am the bread of life. <laughs> he who comes to me shall not be hungry. I'll raise him up. The finest wheat, the bread of life himself. God incarnate. I'll feed you with myself. And with honey from the rock. Who is the rock? Yeah. I will satisfy you. 
God's heart is a covenant whose glory is always to have mercy, who will not throw us away. He'll let us live in our choices, but who of us can say that when we toss and turn in the middle of the night, those choices to walk without him are truly desolation? To walk away from the presence of God? How do we expect that to work out for us? We have a phrase in, a, in a America, maybe some of Western culture, or maybe it's in every culture, who let the fox in the hen house? Excuse me, this is uh, my first experience with this mic. Ah, okay, great. Who let the fox in the hen house? Because uh, if we know anything about animals about all, foxes would love to get in hen houses. <laughs> and the outcome is... Uh, Never good, except this one time today. In our scripture readings today, Jesus himself talks about foxes and hens and chicks from his own heart, his own word. And, uh, and he, uh, I, I had a friend once for many years who if you went to um, the website for the state in which I lived and you looked up professional trappers who were uh, available throughout the state to get rid of the worst possible animals. If there was a pack of, of foxes around who were rabid and not only eating hen houses but going into neighborhoods and, 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 and spreading rabies among dogs or even people or whatever, this was the number one man to call in the state to come in and solve the problem. And uh, so one time when I was preaching in this, I said to him, I said, okay, open up the scripture without knowing anything about the Bible. Tell me what you as a professional would, how you hear this. First time reading this, what are you hearing about this? When, when uh, Jesus calls Herod a fox. You know, we're here today, it says uh, that, uh, that there is a day. And, uh, and the day was uh, when Jesus was speaking about the importance of either come home to him or we perish. And I remember back when I was a young boy, Oh, three, four, five years old, and I'm learning Bible verses. And what's one of the first verses you learn? Well, actually, the first thing I learned was the Lord's Prayer in the 23rd Psalm. But one of the other first verses I learned was John 3, 16. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And every night I prayed, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. So in my three-year-old mind and four-year-old mind, I was beginning to feel a difference that there was something different between dying and perishing. I could lay me down to sleep and, not, and be at peace and not have to worry because if I knew that phenomena of dying, which I was already becoming aware of from goldfish that died and dogs that died, that I didn't have anything to worry about because the Lord held me with an everlasting love that couldn't let me go. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. I memorized that. I recited it in church at four years old. So, but there was something called perishing. I had to learn more about that. That's different than dying. A lot more serious. And so on this, it says, on this very day that Jesus says these words, on this very day, what was the very day? He was talking to the people about uh, the, the urgent need to repent 
because the, the door would not be open to opportunity forever. But yet, the door was open, and he would immediately and instantly receive all who came in repentance. Whoever heard his call, he would put in them the new heart. And so a serious business was about. The need to repent was the most serious thing uh, and, uh, uh, on, uh, happening in all of et- life and eternity, lest that we perish. But even though the time was unknown, there was a limited time, but yet it could happen instantly and wonderfully. And as an example, that one that day, he healed a woman who was bent over. And this touches me personally because my great-grandmother was bent over like this and now my 90-year-old mother is bent over like this and a woman was bent over like that in, in, in worship one day and he set her free from what he himself called as the bondage of Satan and she was free and could stand up and I pictured my great-grandmother, my mother who loved the Lord, who I learned my faith of the Lord through being able to stand free before him and then uh, uh, he was Jesus was scolded for that because he picked a day of worship. Uh, uh, He did that on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, no, the Sabbath is for life, not for death. So on these same days, they're trying to uh, scare him, actually scare him towards Jerusalem and saying, you know, that Herod, he wants to kill you. Everybody wanted to kill him. I mean, of, of, the, of the, seemed like of the religious establishment and, and uh, different people. That, that's not new. But he says, you better, you better run, Jesus. So he tried to scare Jesus and to bring panic into his disciples because Herod wants to, uh, you know, wants to kill you. And uh, basically, in Jesus, when Jesus calls him a fox, now we get back to my friend, the trapper. I said, What do you hear as a professional Jesus calling him? Was it something like, ah, you're just a tricky guy, or maybe you're sort of the villain hero of nursery rhymes? He goes, no. He says, let me tell you the core thing of a fox. Let me tell you the only thing I hear about him. They are cowards. They are cowards. They are destructive and deadly but they're rather incompetent, they're worthless, they're cowards, uh, and, they, and they just really, and they thrive in the desolate, forsaken places uh, because they're not competent enough and, and worthy enough of an animal to deal in any other. I thought, wow, well, that's a whole different picture than just being a tricky person. Interestingly enough, guess what the uh, scholars say that is true of the Hebrew language and Judaism? That at the deepest level, this is exactly what it means to be called a fox. It's not that you're some sort of admiral boy. It's that person, ah, you know, maybe a little shady, but they're good. Ah, you're good. He says, no, it's somebody in, in a Hebrew idiom to use is is they're inept, they're incompetent, they're, uh, they're the opposite of a lion who is courageous and, and, and good at, at hunting their prey. No, they, they slink around the desolate places uh, with incompetency and above all cowardice 
and they're destructive at the, at the most despicable levels. And he said, and here's the problem with translation. Why they, there'd be wonderful if we could put another word in there to help people get this deeper sense of just how bad it is to be a fox. But any word that we can come up with tends to be a word, and they gave an example in the article I was reading is, we can't really put this into print. It's inappropriate. It's too vulgar. So here is an idiom where Jesus is doing a little bit of name calling or soul searching and saying is, as I look on the need, the condition of this person's soul, here is a soul that has grown to great incompetency and cowardness and really worthlessness and desolation because they seek not or want not the presence of God. And then, against that, he says, but I am a hen. One who brings life and gathers its chicks under its wings to protect them from all the likes of the foxes and from their own selves, from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the problem is, you don't want it. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you unto myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And so, I can't force you. You're desolate, but... And here again, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm going to come down on only one side of the translation. The door's still open. If you can say... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you can recognize that God himself is standing with you, incarnate, stretching out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that all would come within his saving embrace. That God himself, who walked through uh, uh, and cut the covenant with Abraham, uh, God is still keeping covenant, and I hate nothing that I've made, and my glory is always to have mercy. Come home, come home, come home. Lord, grant us contrite and repentant hearts that we can not only come home and to deeper in this time of Lent, draw closer to you in, uh, in uh, moving away from those things which keep us from your love and moving closer to you, but that every day, that this would train us and form us, that every day we would uh, stay close to the Savior as our first love. The gospel reading uh, comes to uh, a, a close where Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He's finally at Jerusalem. And um, as he's coming up over the hill by the Mount of Olives, uh, not far from here, this time he says the, the, the same again, only it goes a little bit deeper. His heart comes out even more. Says now is, and so keep in mind, Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem during this uh, encounter with um, those who said Herod wanted to kill him. And, and he said, no one's going to stop me. Herod doesn't control this show. That's what he's basically saying is, if, you know, Herod's such a coward. If Herod's really saying that, and you're not just saying that, why is the coward not showing up and telling me himself? And, but even if he did... He has nothing to say about this. God is sovereign and God is in charge. And there's a word in there, must. This must happen. I must be about this journey. 
of, of proclaiming the kingdom, of casting out demons, of healing, of teaching, of preaching, of announcing the kingdom. I must be about this. I must be on this journey to Jerusalem. And if you're trying to draw me into Jerusalem, I'm going to get there, but it's going to be in my timetable and not by your manipulation. I must go there. But yet when I go there, I weep over it. And so when he, when he does get to Jerusalem, uh, he says, he saw the city and he wept over it. And the word wept there is not, I started to get a few tears in my eyes or I started to get a little sniffles. It's a broken hearted, heavy, heaving, sobbing. I think the Irish call it keening. But uncontrollably from a broken heart, from a God who hates nothing that he has made, whose glory is always to have mercy, who keeps his covenant and will not let us go. Well, a God who even though we have walked away from his presence, he says, I'm going to still die for you upon the cross, die for your sins. I'm going to keep my part of the covenant. He breaks into this brokenhearted, heavy, heaving, keening, sobbing, and he says, if you'd only known especially today, the things that make for your peace. But they're hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you any one stone upon another because you did not know the time when God had visited you. And of course, we know that literally happened. But yet, what does he do? Even knowing the truth about the human heart and about his people in particular, he goes on to not say, well, then I'm out of here. I'm walking away. He goes on to say, I must, I must. The Messiah must die and on the third day raise. And then what? To tell everybody, I did my part and now I've given up on you? No, that the gospel be proclaimed that if we repent, Sins can be forgiven. When the, the tomb is, um, is found empty on Easter morning, what do the, uh, what do the angels say? The uh, women went in and they didn't find the body of Jesus. And it happened that they were greatly perplexed about this. And two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the ground, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must. Why must he? Because he hates nothing who he's made. Because his glory is to always have mercy. Because he always keeps his covenant. And therefore, he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And then when he comes to his disciples personally, he says, peace be with you. And while they were terrified and frightened and thought that they'd seen a ghost, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts raise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, it's I myself. Touch me, see, a ghost does not have any flesh and bones as you see I have. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still couldn't believe out of, it just seemed too good to be true. It said out of sheer joy. He said to them, do you have any food here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. And then he spoke to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Those three years, remember I said over and over and over again, all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the Tanakh concerning me. And he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, which we want him to do for us. Lord, what are you saying to us in your word today? Open our hearts, open our minds so that we know you've been there all the time, all through our life, holding out your arms, spreading out your wings, hating nothing you have made, and, uh, and your glory is always to have mercy, wanting to keep covenant with your people and with us. And he says, and thus it's written, and thus it, it must happen. Jesus himself is saying this two times. It must happen that Messiah suffers and rises from dead the third day. And now that repentance, which is what he wanted all along, repent or perish, he's not willing that any should perish. Come home, come home, come home. Come to me, all you her labor and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Come home. Let yourself be gathered. Come into the party. Remember in, in, in uh, Luke, uh, this whole section ends with the, the father running out to the repentant son who wants to come home as a servant. And he says, no, kill the fatted calf. Put the ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Put the robe on him. A full restoration. And he calls to all, even his elder son says, please come to the party and rejoice. Marinate in that picture. Move from a hen gathering its chicks to the covenant-keeping God uh, himself coming out to meet us, to give us full restoration and fellowship with himself. And now what are we to do? We're to carry that witness. We're to carry that light. We're to carry that good news that it's a right and good and joyful thing to come home. We're doing that today. We're coming home to worship. And we're going to go forth as people who have come home to carry his light and his presence in us as his body into the world. If we become part of that mission of him extending the call to repentance and the forgiveness of sins preached in his name to all people, all nations, Gentiles, beginning in Jerusalem with his own people who he has not forgotten and who he has not rejected. And we'll be one new man, Jew and Gentile together in the lover and maker of our souls. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.